All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. Standard issue for all women. Hey guys, Jen here to tell you about this London Film Festival 2019 bonus cast, if you will. Special, as I have for the last couple of years. This year I got to dick around London Film Festival again. There were so, so many things that I wanted to see and unfortunately I didn't have time to see that much this year because I was busy doing my job, making noise for your ears. But I love the London Film Festival and there is always really good stuff on. I think that... I got a pretty eclectic selection for you guys. So in this podcast, I'm speaking to a bunch of people working across different films. Alice Seabright and Elaine Gracie, director and writer of short film Endo, which is about endometriosis, but is a comedy, as you're about to hear. Anna Aborn, director of coming-of-age documentary Transnistra. Aoife Kelly and Zainab Belogan, director and star of Walking With Shadows, a film about a couple whose lives are turned upside down after it's revealed that Adrian, the husband of said couple, is in fact gay. And Sister, written and directed by Svetla Tsotsukova, about, well, sort of naughty little sister really, but it's a bit more nuanced than that, but, you know, listen, you'll find out. They were all excellent. As ever with a film festival... A lot of these films aren't on general release, so you might have to sort of dig around a bit to find them. But I have included information where possible about where you might do that in each interview. Sunday's the last day of the festival this year, so if you're in London or nearby, you might still make it. Definitely see if there's something you can still get tickets for, because as I said before, there is always good stuff to be seen. 
I just want to give a little shout out to something that I saw the other day, which I didn't get to talk to anyone about because they're all bloody men, aren't they? But I will say that County Lines, which is written and directed by Henry Blake, is just amazing. I felt like I'd been hit by a bus afterwards. But I mean, I want to say in a good way, not really. But I mean, just a really, really beautiful and important film. And I suspect that's something you probably will be able to see in the not-too-distant future. I hope so anyway, so fingers crossed. Anyway, back to the women, because that is what we're all about here. I hope you enjoy as much as I enjoyed speaking to all of these brilliant filmmakers. I'm joined on a stairwell in the... It's so glamorous, this job. At the View, Leicester Square where I am joined by Alice Seabright and Elaine Gracie, who are respectively the director and writer of the short film Endo, which is showing at the London Film Festival. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Hello. What's Endo about? <laughs> Tell us a bit about it. It's largely about endometriosis, but it's also mostly, I keep saying to people, it's mostly about sex <laughs> and about how endometriosis kind of invades your life and every part of your life and infects your relationships and how it's way more prevalent than than we think it is and yeah yeah and it's also about two sisters who both have the condition and how that also affects their bond and kind of like they're both trying to deal with kind of accepting the effect that the conditions had on their life like a sort of sense of loss that comes with that and grief that comes with that but then also trying to accept that they can live with this and that kind of, you know... And it's also hilarious. So. <laughs> it is, I've seen it. It's very funny. So, Elaine, you, you wrote it. Yeah. What was your reason for writing it? Do you suffer from endometriosis I yourself? I do, I do, although it's a contentious wee subject because I've never had um, invasive surgery and the only way that they will diagnose you properly with it is if they give you surgery. So, depending on which doctor I speak to, I do have it or I don't have it. I definitely have it. <laughs> My sister had it chronically, and so the kind of the relationship is based on loosely kind of based on on my sister and my relationship. But essentially, I just had a really fucking awful GP appointment on a Sunday after I had a cyst burst. Yummy, and I was really angry. And I came home and I banged out a, a little a short film in pure rage. And then I gave it to Alice, and Alice and I talked about it. And Alice molded it into something that was film worthy. It was just a, a pure rage rant of frustration and upset and pain, extreme chronic pain. And, and then it kind of was funny too, I guess. But um, it is very funny, and it's funny partly because that's how Elaine looks at the world, is that she looks at it in a, in, a, in a funny way, even when it's super depressing. And it's also funny because I think the main the main character's doing that as well. You know, the main character is basically kind of in this... Yeah, because I think that's what you do. When things suck, you've you got to laugh, right? Because otherwise... Well, exactly. Yeah. And it, I think, for me anyway, like that's such a better way to, to talk about stuff sometimes, because especially when it's something... A bit dark, a bit depressing, a bit grim. Like, I think actually humours, it's just a way to kind of get into the subject that gives you all the shades of it, I think. It's more accessible, isn't it, I think, humour? Yeah, and I think more true to life as well. Like, I, I actually think humours probably, like, exists in order to deal with, da- with yeah, tough yeah. stuff. It's probably what it's there for. So. It's comedy um, and tragedy, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if you can't look at a situation and laugh, then you're in a lot of trouble. And I think um, being Scottish, being quite doer, I think there is a Scottish... 
Scottish sense of humour that is always black because of, you know, just because of a mentality where there's just misery. (laughs) It's just the rain. Yeah, that's pretty much where it came from. Alice, you have directed this. I'm assuming, although I don't know, that you two know each other pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) Too well, someone said. Too well. Given that you know each other obviously quite well, and, and this is like a really, really personal story, so how was it for you taking your mate's story and sort of making it something that reflected both of you? Or was it weird? Was it easy? It was a bit terrifying. <laughs> it's a big deal to, to take someone's story anyway and tell it. And it's a, it's, a bit, it's a responsibility. And it's a bigger deal when it's someone that you're, that you're friends with. And so there was definitely that, a sense of responsibility. On the other hand, I think we always have been... We just basically, I think, communicate quite well um, in just being able to be super honest. And I think that's why it worked. I think that we were just able to be honest at every point. And that means sometimes when you disagree, you you just have have it out and and chat about it. You know, you're not kind of tiptoeing. We really did talk everything through and we kind of collaborated right until the end. But equally, Elaine is very trusting i think she was you know like which which is really giving i think just to say okay here you go and i'm and and i trust you to do this to be fair i wouldn't have done it with someone i didn't think could do it (laughs) it's not just that i love her it's that she's very very good was it weird for you giving your story to someone you knew no, I don't think so. I don't know. You know, you know, you have you have a variety of friends, right? And some friends you just know you'll never get judgment from. It's just not who they are. And Alice is one of those people. So we kind of, even though part of the journey of the film and my relationship with the film has been trying to be honest about it, because part of the Jack, the kind of the the, the main character, she just won't. She just won't. And that's kind of where the humour comes from, and that's very much my personality as well. I'm trying very hard to talk about it more. Alice is the kind of person that if I was going to say I've had a really shit day, I would say I've had a really shit day because you're not going to get, you know, uh, judgment. It's always difficult. I'm a big believer that if you, like, why are you writing something? What's the point of writing anything if it doesn't say something? In a way, although it was a rant for me and it was an expression of my kind of absolute angst and wanky pain in that moment, what we discovered down the process is this was a representation of a lot of women that feel like they don't ever get heard and they have to do what I do which is pretend that everything's fine all the time when you you have a a, a chronic pain condition and you know and you might not be able to have kids and so I I think we both felt a responsibility and certainly as we got down the road and we started giving it to people that I know that have endometriosis and they started giving us feedback it just the, the kind of pressure mounted a bit but all you can do is be honest and it's better to, to say these things than not to say them. I mean, I know that there's a big BBC campaign at the moment about endometriosis. I think there's going to be... Yeah, I think there's going to be um, a select committee or something about it. Yeah, they've just launched this investigation into yeah. it a couple it of days ago that was announced. Years. Or something, on average, it takes about eight years to get diagnosed. Yeah, which is it's insane. Like, And, you know, I knew about the condition. I think I was vaguely aware of it. And then through through Elaine, through being friends with Elaine. And then actually through the process of making the film, yeah, we spoke a lot to Endometriosis UK, we spoke a lot to like women who have the condition, and it just blew my mind, actually. Like, it just, it really did, that it's so prevalent, and everyone seems to be ignoring it. And, like, that is changing now, I hope. Yeah, like that this, I think so. 
you know, the, that coverage a couple of days ago was really was impressive. Massive. I think. Yeah, it was massive. But even now, you know, I say what what the film that I've made is about endometriosis, and mostly you get a blank face, which is nuts if given the prevalence of it and given the fact that it is so insanely affecting of people's lives. And yeah. so, and and I do think it's for a, a, loads of different reasons. I think it's a sort of structural thing of like that. I think. Generally, women's health, yeah, is is not taken seriously. Women's pain isn't taken seriously, and then I think it's also a kind of a gendered way in which we're sort of taught, yeah, to be like, oh, it's okay, yeah, <laughs> I'll be I'm fine. fine. I'm Don't fine. Worry. I'm just bleeding. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely gendered, and it's definitely that um, everyone bleed. You know, women just bleed once a month. Shut up and get on with it. We did actually interview someone as part of our. We did a series on the menopause recently, and a friend of mine, she. Was in, um, put into a medically induced menopause for a period of time oh. because of her endometriosis. So yeah. we've just talked about this on the podcast. So if you're interested in learning a bit more about it, I suggest you check that out. That's to the listener, not to you. But <laughs> it's quite fascinating. She, when I spoke to her about it for the podcast, you can tell when you listen to it. You can tell how angry she is about the way she's been treated. And there's, I'd say, a, a decent amount of rage yeah. in, in in this as well. Is that how? You well, that's what, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to take a giant dump on the NHS because for the most part they're wonderful and they're doing the best that they can with, with ever-depleting resources. Um, <laughs> not to be political. It's really tough, but I don't think that that's always an excuse. Telling someone to get pregnant is not a thing. If I was a man and I was bleeding from my willy, you wouldn't tell me to go and, uh, and, and pop a baby in someone. It was that Sunday that I, you know, had to explain... I had tw- 20 minutes I had to try and talk to this guy and tell this guy that I knew what it was. I knew what happened to me. It's a rage at the denial that I put onto myself. So I have endometrioma, which is the cysts. And when they burst, I cannot go into the pain level. It's just insane. But I still won't allow myself to accept the level of pain that I'm in. So I usually sit there on the toilet. <laughs> I'm usually on the toilet. And I'm ready to dial 999 because I am convinced that my appendix is gone. <laughs> every time because in my head I'm like this pain it just can't be coming from my fanny it cannot be it just can't be so it's it's all of that it's a level of judgment that I have it's that I can't talk to my sister about it which again is a in the film because she just had it so much worse than me and in some way because I'm female I decide that doesn't I'm not worthy (laughs) so it's like it's just ridiculous It's, it's just craziness but yeah there is there is a level of rage and it extends to kind of stupid things like adverts on the tube about how you know we finally cracked erectile You're fucking like, dysfunction erectile dysfunction are you kidding me <laughs> you know and everyone's like I mean that's that must be awful I'm not do you know what I mean it yeah, must be terrible however it, just... I'm shitting my cervix once a month you know I'm like drawing blood with my nails into my palms and I am tearing the porcelain and no one knows what and no one's heard of it and you no, know and no one's heard of it and yeah. no one's heard of it and how about you try have get knocked up love there you are again i completely understand but it's just we're in an era now where that shit's just got to stop it's not good enough women have had fannies forever they've had vagina we've had a i've had it they've always had uteruses unless you guys know different right women have always had the shit going on down there it's just not good enough that they that they still are like chop it out or pill you up like that's not good enough, you know. And if they can fit funky willies, then they can they can do something about this. I'm pretty sure they can. You know, sort out my broken fanny, please. Thank you very much. <laughs> so by the time this goes out, the film festival will be pretty much wrapping up. So where can people see 
Endo if they would like to see it. So it's on the festival circuit. So it's at LFF at the moment. It's going to be at London Short Film Festival in January. That's the next stop. And then hopefully more festivals coming up. So you can find us on Twitter, at Endo Short Film. Um, and we'll, we'll keep posting updates about festivals and stuff like that. And then we'll eventually put it online, but that might take 12 months or 18 months or so just because we want to get it through the festivals first. What else are you guys up to? We're talking about a TV series, maybe. Based on, on the short, yeah, yeah we think there's a show in it. So we're working on that together. I'm writing a film for Film 4, which uh, should hopefully go to late stage funding shortly. <laughs> And I've got a TV series optioned with a production company and I'm writing another film. And so, you know, stuff, writing, tons and tons of writing and then bleeding and then writing and then bleeding. I've been working on sex education on series two and I'm now working on in the writer's room on series three. I directed a couple of episodes of series two. Um, You said that in a very casual way. Do you want to say it again? (laughs) I just finished directing two episodes of sex education series two. Casual. You should have let me do my vocals underneath it. Oh, God, do them. Ah. So the film is on Twitter at Endo Short Film. Yeah, check it out. There's a trailer on there as well. Ah. You can see a trailer for the film. Thank you very much for joining me in this stairwell on the stairs. It's been lovely, guys. Thank you. And all the best with the film. Thank you so much. Hello, Mickey here. Sorry to interrupt your listening pleasure, but I just thought, as you're having such pleasure listening, you might be up for helping us out in making more content that champions women. That's easy to do. You can just bob along to our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash standard issue, and any spare bunch you might have found in your pocket down the back of the sofa, feel free to chuck it to us. Much obliged. I'm joined on the phone by yep. Anna Ebron, who is the director of the film Transnistra. Hi, Anna. Thanks very much for talking to me. So let's start off with Transnistra is a place, isn't it? It's a state that is sort of not actually recognised as its own state by many places. A small sort of strip of land between Moldova and the Ukraine, I think. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, the country, I mean, I tend to say that it's a country even though it's not recognized by by the by the UN but for sure if you if you're in Moldova and you go towards Ukraine uh, you pass this small country uh, it's called Pridnistrovia in Russia and it's called Transnistria in in English and it's a small breakaway state and it was created after the fall of the Soviet Union and this A small strip of land is not, I mean, on the map, it's part of Moldova. But when you go into this country, you meet a new kind of police, another kind of military. They have their own government. You have to change your money into a certain new, a new currency. And most people speak, I mean, the official language is Russian and not Romanian or Ukrainian. So definitely you feel like you're entering a new country. And I would say that that, the people who live in Transnistria also, I mean, they feel like they live in their own country, but but it's still not recognized. But it's a young country, so it's from around 92. This part, Transnistria, has, you can see all the 
Lenin statues, they are still, I mean, they are not broken or torn down or anything. They, they kind of kept them. And I mean, it's more modern now than it was in 92. Of course, it's it's not it's not kept as a Soviet country, but but they still have a lot of the Soviet symbols are there, and maybe some of the bureaucratic part of the system is is, is still based on on maybe more Soviet values than than modern. So the film follows a group of teenagers, and it's basically it's kind of about them growing up in this place. So. Obviously, I mean, it sounds like quite an interesting place, but but what made you want to make a film about this specific place and how did you find the teenagers? It came from previous movie being a very kind of heavy film about death and about growing old. And and I, I had worked in this movie for about seven years and I wanted to change subject. I still wanted to stay kind of in the region. My previous movie was shot in Ukraine and, and Russia. Mm-hmm. And so I heard about this country, Pridnistrovia, from my late character in my, my previous movie. And she talked about this country and I was I thought it was interesting because it was so young. And then I was thinking, but what about the young people who, who grew up and they are teenagers in a country that, barely exists i mean it exists because they are there but their passports are only valid within their own country and they i started to to think about this place and then i i wanted to work with young people again and i wanted to do something about love and then then i went there to to search for for the right main characters and and i was so lucky to meet tanya and I saw in her something very cinematic, uh, like in the way she spoke and in the way she acts and she, how brave she is and how strong of a person she is. And it was a very special situation because she has, she's the kind of girl who doesn't have like girlfriends, but she hangs out with, she has her best friends are boys. Mm. And her little brother is also, I think, one of her best friends, but. So I met her best friends and they are a group of guys. And then I saw this group dynamic and I saw the potential of describing a life in Pridnistrovia just to be with them and um, trust whatever might happen in this group uh, to be the basis of, uh, of a film. So basically they just allowed you to follow them around for a period of two years and and film them yes i mean they know they are in a movie of course and um and the first time i met them and always whenever i work i it's very clear that i'm there to work and i am there to work as a filmmaker and it's i street cost so i look i mean i don't only look for you know like uh, interesting stories or i i believe that that most people have interesting stories or have a life that is that is there is always something some something going on it's just about finding what it is and how to make a, 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 how to create a movie around it but but i think that with with tanya i could see that she was interested in me and she was maybe you know she wants things to happen and she creates 
stuff around her and scenes around her and and I think she she thought it was exciting to yeah to be part of something to make something happen so so I think like this this and that was the same with the with the boys as well that I shot them probably the the second day I met Tanya we were I mean, test shooting but and then I saw the material when I came home and I was like okay this actually it works and then I came back so when you're filming something like this it's uh, you know you, you you're basically documenting their lives how do you ensure given that they are so young this is probably quite an exciting event for them I imagine this kind of thing doesn't happen that yeah. much where they are having watched the film how do you yeah. ensure that you're getting an accurate representation of them how do you ensure that they're not kind of you know getting overexcited and playing to the cameras and things like that it depends on how you see it like normal people i cannot make them act act i can make them feel comfortable in front of the camera yeah but of course they can do stuff that they would not have done if the camera wouldn't be there but i think it's it, I think it's more about if I'm shooting the group and I'm pointing the camera uh, at one of the characters uh, or two of them, it's more likely that the third one in the group wants to be, you know, in the frame or wants to be where it happens and enters the frame and enters the conversation rather than than walking away from the site where we are. Mm. I think usually the people who play off for the camera it's so obvious to so early that they do that and it's but when it comes to tanya for example i mean it's another thing with her because she she might create something i mean she might improvise something that for her i allow for her to do that like in the end of the movie she, she i'm shooting and she has this idea that she wants to direct the music video i mean i didn't tell her but she knows that if she feels like doing that, and she, of course, she knows that that we are shooting, and and uh, this will be a part of the movie. I'm happy that she she takes those initiatives, and and if that's a fiction or a documentary, I don't know. For me, it's very documentary, but I was, at least there's nothing that that I can con- completely control. No, oh, of course, of course, Anna. Obviously, yeah. the film's showing at the film festival at the moment. Are you going yeah. to be... Is it going to be showing at other film festivals? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, this October month is pretty crazy now. It's in it's in South Korea, in Busan, and it's in Yamagata, in Japan, and it's in it's at another uh, English festival. I'm not sure if they launched that program yet but it's coming to another city in england Mm -hmm. soon and yeah it's screening all over at the moment i think it's easiest to maybe follow me on on twitter absolutely yeah so on oh it's just my name anna eborn Mm -hmm. on twitter and then it's uh i usually post whenever the movies where it's screening and then at the same then i have a facebook group as well for transnistra so if we just look for you on twitter or on facebook then we'll be able to find out more about when the film when and where the film is showing yeah i was really happy to be in london i think my my one of my previous movies was was screened at bird's eye view Mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago pine ridge i was not able to to attend that festival so i was really happy to be 
in London with this movie and hopefully we'll find another space for it, not only at the BFI London Film Festival, but hopefully some some other theatre in, in London will screen the film. That would be really cool. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Anna, thank you so much for talking to me and uh, enjoy yeah, the rest no of your problem. time in Italy. What are you doing on November the 18th? I'm thinking of, and I want you to brace yourself for this, Hannah, but I am thinking of talking to some men. Ah. Wow. Any yeah. men in particular? Handpicked three. Craig Parkinson. That's right. He of unbuttoning and buttoning his jacket on Line of Duty and also the amazing Two Shot podcast. Nish Kumar. He of the Mash Report and General Funniness. And Mr. Joe Lysett. He of hilarity on Sue's whenever he is in a room. And fantastic. What I can only describe as blouses. He does have incredible blouses. What do you think the chances of getting all those people in the same room at the same time are, Mickey? I'm glad you've asked, Jen, because I've been working very hard to make this happen alongside my <laughs> lovely colleagues, Jen and Hannah, who you may know well. And uh, it is going to happen at King's Place on November the 18th, which is International Men's Day Eve. It's going to be mint. Get your ticket. Yeah, if you want to get to www.standardissuepodcast.com, you will find details of that and our many other live shows. I love that you always say the www. I know. I, I interviewed Sam Avery, another man, once, and he said it, We're and everywhere. it just made me laugh. So I like to put it in. I am joined by Aoife Kelly and Zainab Logan. Aoife is the director, and Zainab is the star of the film... Walking with Shadows. Hi. Can you tell me, Aoife, a little bit about what the film is about to start off with? The film follows, I guess, primarily uh, the character of Adrian, who has basically been leading a secret life, really. he He's currently married with a child, um, married to Zainab's character, Ada. And a revelation comes out about his sexuality, basically, that leads to a huge ripple effect within his family, friends and society. And we kind of watch as the lives of both Adrian and Ada fall apart and we we kind of parallel their lives of how the consequences of this revelation have affected them both and kind of explore why Adrian even felt the need to hide such a part of himself for so long. Fairly crucial to the background of that is that it's set in Lagos in Nigeria. So yeah, in a quite a conservative society, um, I guess the consequences are higher for something like this to come out. For Adrian being in a kind of, it's a, he's a kind of middle class status, it's more social disrepute and ostracization are the consequences of something like this coming out about him and you know we touch upon it somewhat but I think it's a subject matter that's really I guess close to home because I'm being from Ireland and over the last couple of decades we've advanced um, in our laws but it was illegal to be a homosexual in 93 up to then and currently in Nigeria, the laws are still in place that if you're homosexual, it's 14 years in prison, I believe, or worse. The consequences are very real, you know, so the you can see why somebody might be driven to this. But it's also the case that the fear of not being accepted is really something that this character struggles with. And it's really 
quite torturous for him because you can see it's just because he's leading the life people are expecting him to doesn't mean he's happy and you can see it's really impacted him in every way and it impacts Ada once it comes out. Yeah, it's just an examination of what it's like to not have love for yourself and not feel accepted by society. So I was doing a little bit of research and I believe that the maximum penalty in the sort of Sharia states in Nigeria is is death and up to 14 years in the southern states of Nigeria, including Lagos State. I was really surprised by that. It's something that I guess I've been able to take for granted. I've not had to think about like where would I go in the world that I'd have to consider that kind of thing. So it's quite interesting what you've just said about Ireland. I was going to ask you what drew you to this film. The story, basically, it's based on a novel, uh, Walking with Shadows by Jude Dibia. And it was brought to me by our producer, Funmi Ianda. So she has been trying to develop this story for years, about 10 years or more. Um, and so she saw a short film I did a couple of years ago called Lula and kind of liked the style that I did with it and sent me the novel to read. So that's how it came into my being. Um, so I hadn't heard of the story before that, but I was really moved by the novel and moved by the journey this character takes because... I felt really empathetic towards, you know, his story could have been anybody in Ireland not so long ago. There's definitely a stigma there when you come from a conservative society. Um, but while we've progressed massively in Ireland, so much so that our Taoiseach is an openly gay man and we have uh, gay marriage and it was a huge success for us. Um, slowly but surely, I think once you change one thing, various other things start to happen. So I thought reading that story, I just felt it just touched me because this is active. You know, this is real laws that are happening right now. And it, sh it really shouldn't be the case in th this day and age that w people still have to deal with this and deal with this huge stigmatization against their lives. So, yeah, that's really what compelled me to tell the story and tell it as part of this character, you know, and more to do with him promoting acceptance and self-love, really, overall. So, Zainab, you are British-Nigerian. Yeah. So your character, Ada, you are Adrian's wife. And I thought what was really interesting about your character was, obviously, she's thrust into this, like, sort of nightmare situation, really, where she's going to be stigmatised as well by the fact that she's been married to a guy who, it comes out, is, is gay. But her reaction is very different to other people in the film. She's not angry that he's gay, she's angry that he lied to her. Ada, for me, was somebody who was sort of thrown into into a situation where she had to discover herself as well. When I read the book, I instantly felt that the key word was just love so much. And it was about how do you express love? How do you continue to show somebody that even at times when you don't understand something, I can still love you through what I don't understand. And like you said, the hardest thing for her was the fact that not the situation, but more so we had a friendship for a very long time and you didn't feel comfortable you know, expressing this to me. And now we have a family and now there's there's a child involved and there's so much at stake. And like you rightly said, I don't think she took the course that a lot of women would have taken. But again, it's just, it's the beauty of 
what she represents as a new age Nigerian woman who is going to be often faced with a lot of things that she doesn't understand. But the question is, how do you hear and sort of receive what you see? There have been laws passed in Nigeria, like comparatively recently, sort of prohibiting same-sex marriage, which is kind of weird because it's already illegal to be gay. So I, di- I, didn't, I didn't fully understand that, if I'm honest. So this is comparatively recently. Do you think there's sort of hope in that situation? Do you see the situation changing anytime soon? Nigeria is such a complex country and like sometimes we sort of we do things in a way that it's not quite upside down but it's just kind of confuses you but I think what's happened in the last couple of years is that you have a wave of young people be it creatives or individuals who are sort of doing things on their own terms Um, traditionally as a Nigerian as a conservative country you have parents who want their kids to be engineers and doctors and lawyers and now they don't really have a choice because their kids are so exposed they're so exposed with social media and technology and I think that is fast influence how we do things and I think it's just about waiting and seeing and and, and allowing the rest of you know tradition and culture to sort of catch up. So that's quite interesting that you said that because that was another thing I was going to ask you about is we've seen I think in the last few years sort of creatively Nigeria has become particularly in the UK obviously there's a lot of British Nigerians British Mm. Ghanaians so like West Africa I guess more generally but culturally making quite a big impact at the moment and I noticed actually there's quite a few films in the in the festival this year. Truth is we've been happening for a while but I just think that now people are actually looking. Nollywood is gosh how many years old now Um, so it's been interesting watching the transition as you have more and more young people who are getting into the industry who want to tell these kind of stories and alternative stories and so now they've sort of created something that gets international recognition like from the festivals Uh, it just shows that power is sort of changing hands i mean i've been in the nollywood industry now for about eight years and they'll probably classify me as you know one of the new age um nollywood (laughs) the new wave nollywood Nollywood. (laughs) it's been amazing to watch and i'm just fortunate to be a part of uh, a team of people who do want to tell different stories and i'm i'm grateful that it's happening at the right time where i was saying earlier that i think the rest of the world is like, okay, well, we've seen everything else. What's next? So it's they, they don't really have a choice but to, to look on this side now. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I just think that's a great point. That it is. It's fresh. This is fresh mm-hmm. now and it, it has been underappreciated. But now the stories are coming and the style is different. It's exciting, you know, that the culture of Nigeria is amazing and really fascinating. And you have so many different tribes, so many different mm-hmm. languages. This kind of history of even spirits and magic. And that's in another film they're showing that and you know you can really delve into different subject matters now and uh, yeah so it's an exciting time I think for film in general because of this new access yeah it's interesting what you said before about there being you know a lot of love in this film so I had just said to one of your lovely PR people just as we were waiting I said I thought it was interesting that it was in the love section because I thought you know maybe debate or dare or just for the listener there's different sections in the festival program and films are kind of like categorized like that for me it was about allowing people to sort of discover themselves and decide for themselves as well what self-love means and i think for adrian too he 
finally got to a point where he was like, this is how I feel about myself. This is how I want to love myself. And I'm doing it for me now, which in the Nigerian sense of the word, you're not really allowed to do that. It, you love yourself how I, I choose for you to. Yeah, for me, I think it's great it's in the love category because I think you see love theme and then you think oh romantic film something like that but you know love is so complicated it comes in so many different forms it's not just about your classical sense of one a couple in love you know mm. which you think of a love film and usually you think a heterosexual couple there's love throughout this film really it, and it's also the consequences afterwards of love of being in love and then love falling apart and you also see how adrian's friends kind of pick him up a bit and you this character of abdul who is unapologetic about himself and he's absolutely showing self-love not in a narcissistic way but in a way that he's really had to battle to claim back for himself and he kind of is the catalyst to help adrian identify himself more love is complicated so it's messy you know and i think this shows the other side of love and the consequences of when you force someone to be someone they can't be it's challenging your your typical idea of love what have you guys got coming up next are you working on anything else at the moment i am currently reading a few scripts um and sort of seeing how it goes from there i've just finished writing kind of a draft of a, uh, another feature but I uh, nothing too solid yet but hopefully I'm going to build on something maybe potentially in Ireland th this time and uh, see what happens there but I, I hope just with this festival and with my experience in Nigeria and everything do you know I've met some wonderful people and it'll bring more opportunities and more I just want to tell more stories like this and hopefully impact some people <laughs> where can we follow what you're up to I am on Facebook Twitter and Instagram at Zena Bologan I'm on Twitter you can find me around the place as Eve the Chief <laughs> very few things rhyme with Aoife so <laughs> a good friend of mine from years ago kind of coined it uh, so yeah I've kind of gone with I've run with it I was told I sound more Nigerian with that name <laughs> so it kind of just came about for social media for the film itself it's at WWS the movie or guys thanks so much and I hope you have a great time at the festival yeah, thank, you. thank you very much thank lovely to talk to you I am joined by in the lobby of a hotel so you might hear the occasional sort of crashing plate or something I'm joined by Svetla Tsotsukova director of the film Sister Party Svetla. Hi. First of all, just want to ask you to just give us a little explanation of what the film is about. The film is about me. I'm a pathological liar myself, so it's a portrait of me. Are, are you lying now? You never know. <laughs> you know, if you repeat one lie uh, ten times, it becomes true, so... It's about a girl who invents stories, and one of the stories she invents concerns her sister-boyfriend's so uh, she gets in trouble with her family, mom and sister. She almost destroyed the whole family and trying to return her sister's trust and her mom's trust, she discovers the truth about her mother. Reina, is, she's sort of playing like a, an adult's game, but she's very obviously a, a young girl. You know, she's, she's lying all the time, sometimes to get tips from customers at the, at the place that she works, but, but what is sort of underlying what's going on with her? The world she lives in is too tight for her. It's too boring, too dull, too hard, and she wants to escape from it. And that's the only reason she's lying. 
and it's kind of a crying game. Actually, it's a film about lonely people. All the characters in the movie are lonely. Ryan is lonely, her mom's lonely, her sister's lonely, the boyfriend is lonely, but they all have their secrets and lies, and it's uh, all about accepting the other with his own or her own secrets and lies, and love him, just accept him and love him, and just, um, it's kind of a way to remain humans. It's, it's a difficult relationship between the, the mother and, and her daughters and the sisters between each other and, you know, like obviously familial relationships, female relationships as well, can be complicated. Do you think there is still quite a lot of love in those relationships, although it's, it's not always that obvious? They live a hard life, so the love is hard as well. Um, every, every family is different. Not all families are like that, but this particular one, it's, uh, it's like that. It's, um, the film explores uh, this kind of dysfunctional <coughs> family and tries to dig in the way they treat each other, accept each other. What was your inspiration for it? What, what message do you want to convey? This was what was leading us the whole time we were writing the script and then making the movie. It's about the way we treat each other, the way we accept each other, or can we accept each other with our secrets, lies, uh, good sides and bad sides, and can we live with that? Can we live with ourselves? Can we live with the others? I wanted to make this film for a very long time because I invented story. I mean, I still do. I'm still making films, of course. And a few of the lies, they got me into the film school in Bulgaria. A few of them got me into the London film school. So see how far... What's your best one? I don't know. I don't know. I keep improving myself. (laughs) I keep getting better and better. So see how far I've gone. Um, The one that I used at the film academy in Bulgaria, in Sofia, was that uh, we had to write... um, a short story. Um, it was one of the stages you have to go through. You have to pass. And uh, I wrote a story about a drug addict. And I was 18 at the time. And obviously I didn't know anything about drug addicts. But after I wrote the story and I passed that stage, like the judges, the jury, they asked me, so how come you know so much about drug addicts? Uh, I said, well, I'm, I've been looked after by a drug addict. My mom hired this guy to look after me, and it turned out he was a drug addict. And I found him in the bathroom. He was taking drugs, and one day I found him dead in our bathroom. And they believed that. And it was a complete lie. But I got into the film school. Did you lie to get into the film school, or did you lie just because you felt like it? Well, of course, to get into the film school, but I had been lying so much yeah. by that point that I think it was just so easy to go with the flow. You felt confident. I felt confident, yeah. <laughs> Or maybe it was just my desire to get into the film school. Have you told any lies during this interview? I don't know. No, I don't think. No. <laughs> Believe me or not. <laughs> OK, fair enough. Film showing is part of the London Film Festival. By the time this goes out, the film festival will be largely over, so will there be an opportunity for people to watch the film? Do you have any information about sort of general release that you can tell us? Uh, yeah, the sales agent of Sister is uh, an English company, a British company, Film Republic. They've managed to sell the film, sold the film so far in France and China. So is there a website or a Twitter account or something we can follow to find out more information about where it's 
showing. There is a Facebook sister slash sestra in Bulgarian. <laughs> Can you tell us anything about anything else you're working on at the moment? Any projects coming up? We are working on um, a script called Fortune Teller. In 2015, when I was in London Film Festival with my first film, Thirst, I was asked the same question, what I was working on. And I was working on Sister at the time. And someone asked me, when can we see that? And I said, I don't know, we're still trying to finance it. We shot the film, the, the National Film Fund in Bulgaria didn't support us, so we did it basically with friends. So I hope the next project won't be just with friends. Okay. <laughs> just to say, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was really um, touching and also funny, darkly funny in places. And thank you very much for, for talking to us. Thank you. I I'm glad you got the jokes. Hello, Hannah here. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help, especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars. Standard Issue for All Women.